Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. That's page 1038 in your pew Bible. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. Bless this word to our edification, that we would be built up in our faith. And may it be the light of the gospel to hearts, a good news, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The message is that we are brought near in the new creation. And, you know, there are times we may wonder whether it's really worth it to get out of bed on a Sunday morning to gather for the public worship of God. We've had a long weekend and Saturday, the day we usually catch up on chores, well that was taken up with preparing receipts for our accountant for income tax or maybe we had to go to that distant relative's retirement party. But for some reason the thought of laying in on a Sunday morning, that's how they put it over in England, laying in or bedside Baptist as I used to put it down in Grove City College where you're moving uh, brother Eric, or the thought of just puttering around the house with Pat Robertson's network CBN blaring in the background. Well, that sounds pretty good. But on the other hand, you know you won't grow without the preaching of the word and the fellowship of the saints. In fact, our text today suggests that you won't really be honoring the Savior who died at the cross for us. For the very cross by which we are reconciled to God is the same cross that declares that we are reconciled for one another. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. And verse 15, Christ has created in himself one new man from the two. We are meant to be together in the worship of God. All of us who believe in Christ as the author of our salvation through his finished work at the cross have got to grapple that we alike are reconciled to God in one body through Christ's body crucified at the cross. We, the church, are this one new man of whom Paul writes in verse 15. And we are designed for worshiping together, which is the emphasis in verse 18, as we will see. Through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. If we miss out on being the new creation, we miss out on being the new creation together if we live our lives in isolation as Christians. So the outline is verse 15, Christ creates something new 
from the two. Verse 16, lasting peace through the cross. And verses 17 and 18, all believers have access by the Holy Spirit to the Father. Verse 15, Christ creates something new from the two. And that something new is the one new man, which we read of in verse 15. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. The one new man is the church, which was created by Christ. And the two represents the Gentiles and the Jews that were mentioned in verse 11 by means of circumcision and uncircumcision. Those two were incorporated into this one new man. One of the keynotes of our Christian faith and the study of man from a biblical point of view, not a Greek point of view, is the sheer physicality of the human condition. The importance of the body alongside the soul in terms of whom we are standing before God as justified sinners. Recall that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the sine qua non of Christianity. Without it, there's nothing. The bodily resurrection of Jesus. And what did he do as soon as he was raised? He went to be with his church. He went to be with those two women who met him there. He went to see them on the way when they were running away from the tomb. He met them on the way and then he met with the disciples and came into the presence of his church. There is a life together of redeemed believers who trust in his resurrection. And even after his ascension, they gathered in the upper room for prayer. To use the words of verse 16, we as being either a Jew or Gentile are reconciled to God in one body through the cross. And we're meant to have union with Christ in that body. Christ. And when we have that union, we have access to the Father and we have relationship with one another. We're brought near to God and as we're brought near to Him, we are uh, meant to have a closeness with believers. The closer you get to Him, the more you are in relationship with Him around the foot of the cross. This is not meant to be a church where we zoom in from Timbuktu to say hello. This is not meant to be a worship of disembodied souls seen only through the tiny distorted two-dimensional screens of our smartphones. This is the place where those reconciled to God in one body are reconciled to one another. Turn with me to the importance of the body as you see it here in Romans 1. Turn it, please. Romans 1.11, page 999. Romans 1.11. Two of the greatest apostles, Paul and John, have the same emphasis. Romans 1.11. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Gifts are given when you see one another that you just don't get impersonally. Even listening to the sermon on the internet, the things we do to substitute for personal ministry do not substitute for personal ministry. Take a look at 2 John and verse 12. That's page 1085. 
2 John, page 1085, and that's verse 12. There's only one chapter, so we just go straight to verse 12. 2 John, way at the back of your Bible, he says, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be filled. Paper and ink didn't do it. New technology doesn't do it. Face to face does it as we share in the word and encourage one another face to face. Now, going back to Ephesians, just want to remind you from last week that I said there was a period of destruction so that construction could happen. That destruction was what I'd call a wrecking ball. And the construction, construction is an architect's dream. The new creation. Last week, we emphasized in verse 12 how those who were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless were brought near by the blood of Christ, of the cross. And how Christ cleared away the rubble of separations between Jew and Gentile so that he could build something new, the new man. The blessings came to the Gentiles as they were together with the Jews incorporated in this church, the new man. And we see in verse 14 that destruction was the breaking down of the middle wall of separation. There were two basic separations and there was a lot of other stuff that made the uh, Jews and the Gentiles not lock like each other, but the first major separation was circumcision, and the second was the dietary laws. We mentioned circumcision last week, verse 11, that there were these uncircumcised, and they were called that by the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, and we saw that Paul was saying, hey, that doesn't cut it. You can't just be circumcising in the flesh by hands. You need a circumcision of the heart. If you turn over to Colossians 2, 11 and 12, that's uh, Colossians 2. It's the very next uh, book after Philippians, just a couple pages over. You're going to see in 2, 11, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. He's speaking to Gentiles here. Colossae is a Gentile city. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You see, the circumcision without hands is the one on the heart. And you were circumcised because Christ was circumcised. The cross became a cutting off of wickedness, a cutting off of sin as being a charge against God's elect. It was a place where God dealt decisively with sin and then we are buried with him in baptism, verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the circumcision was accomplished and now we're raised as baptized, washed people, a blessing that comes to us in the New Testament era. And that transition was accomplished at the cross 
Now that is the rubble that's being cleared away, the dietary laws which no longer had to be held because there was no more sacrifices. So you didn't need clean animals anymore. And so you didn't need to eat clean animals uh, on your weekly diet. And, and that circumcision issue is no longer a separation. And that rubble being cleared away, now Christ is ready to build. Look at the second half of verse 15. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So how does he create? Christ is a creator. He, he, he is part of the Trinity that was involved in the first creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. And that hovering uh, had a place in preparing the creation from going from plain water to a, 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 a fluid which was uh, pregnant with life. And then it says... Let there be light. There is the word speaking. We know in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then we read, without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, Christ creates again. He's creating the new man. And that word, kainos, is one of two words in Greek. And this particular news speaks of an end times eschatological creation. It's a big word, but it simply means from here on out, it's a glide plane to the second coming of Christ. From here on out, from this time forth, we are headed toward forever in the second coming of Christ. This is the new creation, that new man. That's a powerful phrase. It's reminiscence of Jesus being the first fruits of the new creation. And how did he do it? He gave himself to the labor of love, of living a holy life of an active obedience, obeying all of God's laws, and a passive obedience, being submissive even to the will of the Father, that he would be put on the cross. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And you may be aware that 5.17 is... Again, speaking of that newness, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So he fought this battle. And we hear even from John Calvin that when the spear went in his side at the cross and that blood and that water sprang forth, we hear that Calvin writes, by these words, John means that Christ brought with him the true atonement and the true washing for forgiveness of sins and righteousness and the purity of the soul were prefigured in the law by two symbols of sacrifices and washings. And that corresponds to the Last Supper and that corresponds to baptism. And so John Calvin is saying that these sacraments which Christ left to his church have the same end. In baptism is shown to us the cleansing and purification of the soul, and I quote, consisting in newness of life. And the supper is the pledge of a perfect 
atonement, unquote. So here from John's gospel is a picture of how that creation happens. Even though he was dead at the time, this pouring forth, which proved that he dead, was dead, is a picture of the newness of life that comes from his death. And Jesus rising from the dead is then the confirmation. And it's interesting that, isn't it true that Jesus is the second Adam? He is the fulfillment of all that the first Adam back in the Garden of Eden didn't do. He obeyed the law. He was faithful to his father. And how did the first Adam get involved in the propagation of the race? Eve came out of his side. And how does Jesus get involved in the propagation of the new creation? He dies for their sins, taking the penalty for their sins. And out of his side is a picture of newness of life and the cleansing of sins. The church is this new man. The church is the new man of verse 15. You could call it the new Eve, the bride of Christ. And St. Augustine put it this way with this trenchant comment. When Christ died, the church was created. And that's what's happening here. This is the new creation with which we are associated. We are brought near to God and near to other believers in this new creation. The church becomes the location of our salvation. It's not that the church saves us. I'm not going to take you back to Roman Catholic days. Don't get nervous. But I am saying that Christ saves us as a member of his church. He saves us and he immediately incorporates us in this, this body, the, the church. We, we should never run from one another and hide in our lazy boy watching a big screen on the wall. If we do that, there's no way that we can personally embody the peace that at the end of verse 15. How can we live out that peace if we're all alone? And so this creation from the two is very interesting point also. The one new man from the two, it's not creation out of nothing. You know, in the new Genesis, God created everything out of nothing. Bang! Bang! Out of nothing. But here, there is a substrate. There is something out of which he creates. Jew and Gentile. And so it's in the very particularities of what goes into this new creation that we live our experience. There is a prior existence of Jew and Gentile, and they come into this new thing, and they don't stop being a Jew, and they don't stop being a Gentile. One of the problem, I have to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to go into my little thing here, I have with house churches, this idea of you, you just hang out in your house and you do church, you have a message by one of the fathers in the family, and you got a group of six or seven families there, is that house churches don't have a former, formal eldership that is uh, recognized and accountable to a presbytery. You don't have mutual accountability between leaders of the church so that doctrine and practice is guarded. 
But the other thing I have a problem with house churches is the people invited are the people that everybody wants in that room. This is a place of public accommodation. There's a sign out front. There's a door that opens. And as I've been talking to the uh, inspectors down at City Hall in Queensbury, our new bathroom is going to be a bathroom of public accommodation. And it's got all kinds of rules associated. We're okay. We're going to handle it. We're all right. Don't get nervous. I was nervous for a second, but we're okay. I'm just saying to you, this is a place anybody can come in the door. And that means people we don't really care to hang out with necessarily. It, 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 it's, it's, it's people who are different. I remember back at my church, the church where I served in Hope Reform, we had a really militant union man from the Transportation Workers Union, TWU. They were the workers in the MTA, which runs the subways. And he was on the union side. And we had another man who was management, a managing engineer for that same outfit. But, you know, when they came in the doors, they had arguments, you know, not at, not at church, but at work. They were on opposite sides. They, were, they knew how to negotiate. But when they came in the church, they were humble at the foot of the cross because they were true born-again believers, both of them. And, you know, there's differences we have in this church. We don't all view everything the same. And so as we come to that place, we come here, warts and all, one new man from the two, and God saves us all. Now, second point, verse 16 Lasting peace through the cross, it says, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The word reconcile is a translation of the Greek word katalasso. Alasso means to change money. Then it came to mean to change a relationship, going from a place of hostility to a place of friendship. Katalasso, that cut is a prefix that brings intensification to it. It means, wow, there really was a lot of hostility here, but we dealt with it, and God dealt with it. It's got an analogy with the word lambano. You receive something. Kata lambano is you seize it. So the kata emphasizes the power of the word, whatever that root word is. God has eradicated the hostility. He has reconciled us. First reconcile happens vertically. It says he might reconcile them both to God, a vertical relationship. And then he reconciles us horizontally. Matthew Henry puts it this way, sin breeds a quarrel between God and men. Christ came to take up the quarrel and to bring it to an end by reconciling both Jew and Gentile, now collected and gathered into one body, and now reconciled. We offended him, but by his cross, the sacrifice of the cross, he slew the enmity. The Cambridge Bible says that the idea of the verb katalasso is the satisfaction of an aggrieved or alienated superior. The superior is the one who's got the beef. And the beef is that we have broken his law and we are alienated from him. And the 
offending inferiors, the Jew and the Gentile, are God's, uh, are God's issue. What are you doing down there? You're alienated from me. And we are led back as suppliants, as beggars seeking restoration of the relationship. And that's what Christ does as the mediator. He reconciles Jew and Gentile to God in one body through the cross. He suffers in his own body. So the picture here isn't like you got a mediator who comes in and says, okay, cut it out, guys, and just listen to me. I had this teacher back in Eastern Christian, North 4th Street School. That was the place where we ran around on macadam. That was our you know, recess area. No grass. We just skinned our knees and came in and we didn't cry. And basically I had a teacher who wore one of these sets of glasses and they were always down here, never on her face, but it was like her authority badge. And so if we were doing something wrong, wow, she would come out and she would set things straight. Now I never did this, but it's almost like if I was throwing rocks at the window and she got sent out by the principal and she would wag her finger at me and say, you better not do that because that principal in there is pretty angry. And if he gets a hold of you, you're going to get spanked. I really got spanked one time. I don't know if they do that anymore. Can you spank in school? Anyway, no. Teacher says no. So I got spanked. I never got sent home. And what I'm saying to you is she's the kind of mediator that didn't suffer through this. She was just in charge telling me what the score was. Now, great teacher wonderful person. I'm just saying that's not the way it is with Jesus. He suffered in his body. He was tempted by the devil with all those temptations in Matthew 4. And that was an opponent from outside, but the battle went on inside of him. Am I going to fall for this temptation or not? And he quoted scripture and he didn't. Just think of all the sweating like unto drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. Just think of him hanging from nails which were pounded into his wrists, into a rough tree called a, a cross. These aren't the reports about a hero who triumphantly runs the, his course to an easy victory. No, this is suffering in his own body. As it says in Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 37 puts it this way about suffering. What do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering, as the only atoning sacrifice, he might set us free, body and soul, from eternal condemnation. So it was during his whole life, all that obedience, all those struggles with temptation, and especially at the end, especially at the cross, he suffered and he thereby reconciled us both 
to God. The Father who loves us is in a position now to accept us because propitiation, satisfaction of our guilt has been made. And here on the horizontal level, Jews and Gentiles are reconciled to one another, being drawn close to God. We are drawn close to one another in the church. We may have a history. We may know each other by reputation. We may know each other's views on any number of subjects. And yet we have a future now in the church because we are submitted to God's word written and to the truth it tells us of Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. As we consider this, we recognize that this puts to death the enmity between us and God and between us as human beings. And finally, verse 17 and 18, all believers have access by the Holy Spirit to the Father. He came and preached peace to you who were far off. That was the Gentiles. And to those who were near, that was the Jews. Jesus is an equal opportunity peacemaker. Those who have equal access to the Father are Jew and Gentile. And there's an example of this in the Old Testament where we see an, an outsider, a foreigner who is far. The phrase is used from a far country. If you turn to 1 Kings 8 and 41, 1 Kings 8 and 41, it says, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name, and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. So here is the foreigner who is from afar, and he's coming, and it's for the purpose of worship. And so this access here is a common worship, and it's Trinitarian, you see, for through him, the antecedent of him is Christ. That's the one who's been acting all verses 14 through 17. Through Christ, that's the Son of God, we both have access by one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. And so this coming near is not for business, for politics. It's for praying. It's for worship with his people. It's for glorifying and making much of God and saying, we are yours and we want to follow you this week. We want to follow you this year. We want to follow you for the rest of our lives together. That preaching that is mentioned in verse number 17 is part of this worship. The worship is highlighted in verse 18 and part of it is the preaching of peace to you who are far off and those who are near. Here's a preaching that happened by Jesus himself when he was on earth. It's true, he mostly came for the lost children of Israel. But he also had mercy upon the, the mother who came from Tyre, the Canaanite, who was pleading for her demon-possessed daughter. And 
sort of got a little brush off from Jesus, but then she said, but even the dogs under the table pick up the scraps. And have you ever felt like that? God's forgotten me. Oh, God's not here for me. You ever feel like that? There's hope for you. There was hope for this Canaanite. Believe that the scraps from Jesus' table are enough. They're going to feed you. They're going to help you if you're facing anything today where you feel forgotten. Yes, Jesus preached peace even to Gentiles. And then after his ascension, Paul became the, the apostle to the Gentiles. But then interestingly, after chapter 9, as if to say, okay, it's not just Paul. Peter, Peter gets in on this and he witnesses to Cornelius, the first convert that we really know of by name. Uh, well, no, there was the Ethiopian eunuch, I'm sorry. But, but we see here uh, uh, an organized outreach to the Gentiles. And so we see a preaching to those who are near, a preaching to those who are far. And so we preach even in the church today to those who are near and far. I preach to you every Sunday. And we're going to be preaching to the community through soccer camp. And we try to preach to families through 3G Lighthouse and Brigade and Sunday School every Sunday morning. I, I just want to encourage you in your own personal lives this summer, make your backyard a preaching station. Not that you're going to get up there and, you know, have one of these little kind of things, but, but just be friendly. Invite your neighbors over. Talk about life. And it may verge toward Jesus somehow. And it may come into a spiritual conversation over a period of months. Use this time in the summer to bring people the message of Christ. And then invite them into the Trinitarian worship of God. Father worshipped. Access won by the mediator Jesus. And it is by one spirit. Watch out for those mutilators, those dogs. For it is we who are the circumcision, circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God and who glory in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 3.3. 3. So here in the local church, we get to know God where we are known by his people as unique image bearers of God. It's where we are built up in the faith as those reconciled to God vertically and reconciled to God's people horizontally. Where we stop speaking past each other or over each other, and I, I do that sometimes. I'm sorry. i got to bite my lip. We listen to one another. We really listen, because in that moment where we intend to listen, we might just be hearing the preaching of peace from a brother or sister, and that preaching of peace might just be the sermon we need that day. We come, we exalt Christ as the one who created one new man and he has created his bride the church and that brings us hope it brings us uh, friendship it brings us the word and you then become agents of sharing those things into the lives of the people around you yeah there's rubble you know we talked about Jesus clearing away the rubble before he did the creating. Yeah, there's rubble in our life. There's, there's mess. There's stuff that's got to be cleared out. But God is strong to do that. And he will build on his terms a, a church to his glory 
and honor. Come together with us to serve this God and be that church today. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for this challenging word. We thank you, Lord, for the vision we have of what you're doing to create something wonderful and new among us. And I, I thank you for the privilege we have just to gather here today and to be prepared to go forth to share this message wherever we go. Oh, Lord, we confess the rubble. We confess the mess. But we say to you that we're trusting you to build something beautiful in our lives, something beautiful in this community of faith here at Redeemer. And we want to be reconciled to others with whom we have disagreements. Oh, Lord, reconcile us. Send your spirit upon us. Work in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.